Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinars and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, we have a lot to talk about tonight because uh, for those of you who follow Israeli politics, the Knesset session, the uh, winter uh, Knesset session began on Monday. Um, so that means politics uh, basically came back uh, the recriminations, the divisions, especially between the coalition opposition, took a hiatus over the uh, Jewish holiday period, but they're certainly back with a vengeance. Uh, the opening speeches, whenever there's an opening session of the Knesset, uh, it's opened by the president. He, President uh, Herzog, Bougie Herzog, uh, tried, as pretty much every president has uh, in recent years, tried to put an emphasis on lowering the tone, uh, raising the tone, lowering the divisions, lowering uh, the abuse, maybe some uh, uh, MKs hurlets others, um, but it certainly fell on deaf ears before even the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Bennett uh, uh, went up to the podium. Uh, I think uh, within the first couple of minutes, already three Likud members of Knesset were thrown out for just constantly heckling, even before he said a word. Uh, the same sort of heckles that he's heard now for, what is it, almost four months that you're, you know, you're a traitor, you're a liar, you're just interested in yourself, nothing else. Um, and it, uh, it got quite a few of the more rabble-rousing uh, Likuds, uh, uh, MKs chucked out uh, pretty early. Um, we had uh, Naftali Bennett give his opening uh, talk or speech, uh, which raised a few eyebrows for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, he mentioned Ron uh, Arad. For those who know, Ron Arad was a former, uh, I believe, pilot in the Air Force who I think it was 20 or 30 years ago, uh, was shot down and he parachuted out. He, uh, and. Uh, he was never really seen from again over Syria. There was all this idea that he was taken to Iran. We haven't heard anything from him for quite a while. So out of the blue on the uh, eve of quite a large uh, anniversary of his disappearance, um, and, uh, Prime Minister Bennett basically let out the bag that there was a, an operation by the Mossad to try and uh, glean or gain information about his whereabouts. Uh, it is assumed at this point that we're not talking about a live person. Uh, it's, all, it's assumed that almost certainly that he, he passed away. But what was interesting is it caused quite a ruckus because uh, the first question is, was it a successful mission? It's unclear. Naftali Bennett certainly uh, suggested that there was a certain level of success in it. Uh, but then we heard other intelligence officials, including the leadership of the Mossad, that said it was a brave effort, but there's nothing really happened and in the end it was a failure uh, and you know when it comes to sort of Mossad operations now there's a massive debate because the last few years up until this leader of the Mossad uh, we had uh, a leader of the Mossad who liked to be photographed a lot more than his predecessors liked to be on record a lot more than his predecessors immediately upon 
vacating the position within a few days. He gave a wide-ranging interview uh, and talked about some of uh, the operations in perhaps a lot more detail than some would like. So there's now a, quite a debate in Israel exactly how much should uh, be said, should the Mossad, as it were, go back into the closet and basically keep everything really under wraps, not talk anything, not even hint. Um, there is a feeling that the new head of the Mossad, uh, it, there is even uh, people who said in his first meeting, he said that we're going to do everything very differently from my predecessor. In other words, keep everything back, under, uh, keep everything under wraps and put everything back where it should be in the shadows. Uh, but the fact that Prime Minister Bennett said this uh, during his speech, even you know, it, without giving too many details, has caused quite a, a conversation around it and also the politicization. And there's a lot of talk how much uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, former Prime Minister Netanyahu, politicized many of the, the tasks which the Mossad uh, did in the past, whether it was uh, in Iran or elsewhere. You know, there was there was a lot more leaks, let's say, and a lot more suggestions of um, covert operations uh, out uh, in the open. What was also interesting, and again, came in for a certain amount of criticism, was uh, the fact that the defense minister was only told uh, about the fact that Naftali Bennett was going to say this about his speech apparently one minute before. Uh, this again, uh, let's say, speaks to something we've spoken about before, about the let's say, cool relationship uh, between Defence Minister Gantz and Prime Minister uh, Bennett. Um, and, you know, there are suggestions that uh, if he was told earlier, he may not have, he may have said that it shouldn't have happened. Um, and again, it just speaks to the tensions within the, uh, the government. On the flip side, um, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, sort of trying to reel Benny Gantz in, making sure that, you know, he... He stays in this government because he is the, uh, the real wild card. Uh, I was in the Knesset today and speaking about this with someone. And you know, if you look around the parties, they're just simply, you know, what if, and I would say when the budget is passed, the only real opportunity to fell this government is uh, 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 by a motion of no confidence. Ironically, um, no confidence votes are much tougher than they used to be. Uh, much of what the uh, Netanyahu camp is complaining about in this government is actually uh, laws and rules and regulations they put in uh, during their time. And one of them was that uh, because we used to have no confidence votes all the time and it held up a lot of Knesset activity. So they tried to make it a lot more difficult, said if you're going to have a no confidence vote, it has to be accompanied by an alternative government, which means you have to have 61, you have to have a prime minister, you have to have a whole government set up, which obviously makes it a lot more difficult to do. So if you look around the current coalition, uh, you know, to put together a no confidence vote with an alternative government, the only possible uh, player at the moment uh, is Benny Gantz. What we did see this week is trying to create that gap between Benny Gantz and Netanyahu. Benny Gantz for, for quite a while has been trying to uh, lead and trying to uh, create a state and national investigation into submarine affair. There was some, um, uh, it was, I think it's called uh, Case 3000. Um, those of you who have been following uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu's corruption trial, there's, there's Case 1000 against him, Case 2000 against him, and Case 4000 against him. There's a Case 3000, uh, which was uh, to do with some kickbacks and some uh, uh, procedures that were allegedly ignored in selling and buying submarines from Germany and allowing 
submarines to be sold by Egypt because there's an understanding with Germany that submarines are not sold to Egypt without Israel's okay. Um, the case got as far as uh, Netanyahu's inner circle, some very close people to Netanyahu have been indicted that case, but so far uh, Netanyahu has not. Uh, but there is a feeling that if, amongst many players in the political arena, that if uh, you know it was dug a little bit deeper, then they would find this connection. Uh, this is suddenly Benny Gantz, who was uh, uh, chief of staff at the time, has been pushing for for a long time. And interestingly enough, Gidon Saar uh, came out uh, in the last couple of days and said that he supports it. Now, some say that in the past he didn't support it, he came out on the TV news uh, just about an hour ago saying that uh, he never, he was never against it, but he really wanted to look into the issue and not just uh, come at it from a political point of view, but from a legal point of view, don't forget he's justice minister. And now he fully supports that uh, state inquiry. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens because it's obviously something that Netanyahu doesn't want um, and the Likud certainly don't want. So the fact that Benny Gantz is leading on this could create that space. Uh, another couple of things that uh, uh, Gidon Saar is trying to push as justice minister, which certainly will rile up uh, the Netanyahu camp, is creating two laws. The first is having term limits, um, which basically would be two term limits, uh, four years each. Uh, in other words, a prime minister would not be able to serve more than uh, eight years, which is uh, interestingly something that many Likud leaders would be prepared to sign on because this law would uh, not be retroactive. In other words, uh, if Prime Minister Netanyahu, under this new law, whenever their former Prime Minister Netanyahu become Prime Minister again, his eight years start from scratch. Uh, so that's something which uh, is seen as less personal. What is seen as more personal is uh, a, a law that would see that no person under an indictment could form a government. Uh, that obviously, it doesn't matter if it's retroactive, Netanyahu's indictment continues until uh, you know, the, the, the court case is finished and he's either found guilty or innocent. Um, so that is seen as more personal and obviously there's a lot more objection to that within the Likud. Uh, but obviously this is something that if it's pushed through by this government will certainly create quite a, uh, a problem with the uh, opposition as it stands uh, at the moment. Um, People have asked, uh, people asked last week about polls. There was a poll this week, interestingly enough. The most interesting part of it is that Tikva Hadashad, New Hope, Gidon Saar's party, would not pass the electoral threshold. Um, and some suggestions are that this is why he's come out with some of these laws to make himself relevant today. He even admitted on the TV that he hasn't been in the public eye as much. Uh, so maybe that's why he's losing support. Uh, other interesting things, uh, Likud went up by four seats, according to the poll, probably uh, because of Tikva Hadashah, which is a right of centre party, probably they went to the Likud. Um, but the most interesting thing is that neither side could form a government. Uh, there'd be six seats in the middle by the uh, joint Arab list, and neither side without the joint Arab list would be able to reach that uh, vaunted uh, 61 seats to be able to form a government. So we'd be pretty much uh, back in that situation where we wouldn't have uh, be able to uh, have a government if both sides uh, stuck to their guns. Um, another thing that Gidon Saar did say to, uh, tonight as well, which is kind of understood, but it's uh, probably more about what, what uh, you know, trying to uh, create some sort of movement, is he said that if Netanyahu was no longer the leader of the party, 
there is a chance this government wouldn't uh, have the same makeup as it does currently, which is probably more than anything else is to try and put pressure on other players than Likud to try and uh, take steps, uh, try and move uh, centrally against the and Netanyahu, what we did see is probably his main opponent, main challenger, um, Nir Barkat, actually came out, uh, was, was named in, what was it called? Not the Panama Papers, the, the, the most recent one. Uh, he was named as having offshore accounts and property and all sorts of exotic places. Um, he believed that that was uh, an attempt to try and you know, diffuse uh, much of his popularity. Um, but there's definitely a lot to watch out for in internal uh, liquid uh, politics and dynamics. Um, on the diplomatic front, we've actually seen uh, an interesting meeting this week between the head of Meretz, Nitzan Horitz, uh, the health minister. Uh, we talked about this, I believe, a little bit uh, last week, but uh, quite a lot has come out uh, over the last few days. Uh, Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, apparently in, in one part of the meeting, asked to speak with um, Ayelet Shaked, the interior minister, obviously probably one of the most right-wing members of this government. She shot that down immediately. Um, but uh, apparently he also asked to meet with Yael Lapid. So it's interesting that Mahmoud Abbas is trying to reach out to this government. Probably a big part of it is not because he suddenly uh, believes there's anything to talk to with the Israelis, but because the Americans seem to be pushing him more and more into a corner. They're not happy with uh, not only uh, his, his ongoing rejectionism uh, and his threats at the UN last week to renege uh, recognition uh, of uh, the state of Israel, something that happened all the way back in 1993, but also the heavy hand in the uh, dictatorial nature he's taken recently uh, towards his people. Apparently, uh, the Biden administration is very unhappy about that and has made it known. Uh, we know that uh, Abu Mazen wanted to come to New York for the General Assembly, but only on the proviso that there'd be a meeting with Biden. Um, the, the Biden administration shot that down. And apparently there's great displeasure uh, with Abu Mazen for what's uh, going on recently. Uh, but the whole issue of outreach to Abu Mazen is, is becoming an issue to a certain extent, but at the moment to a relatively minor extent, it's again, uh, any major steps are not going to be taken before the budget because everyone knows that's the most important thing to look uh, to look for. Uh, but when when that passes, and I still believe it will pass, nothing is one hundred percent sure, but it seems like it will. Then perhaps we'll, we'll see a little bit more movement back towards some of the ideological positions that some of these parties had to put on the back burner. Um, discussions between uh, Hamas and Israel, indirect discussions through Cairo. Uh, with Americans also involved, seem to be stalling at the moment. Uh, my guess is that there will be no movement on any sort of prisoner exchange, even if there's going to be one, until again, after the budget. Um, apparently, Hamas want again something like a thousand uh, prisoners um, to be released for the uh, two uh, IDF soldiers' bodies and two Israeli citizens, which they hold at the moment. That seems to be going uh, nowhere at the moment. And again, I doubt while Naftali Bennett uh, is prime minister, um, there's going to be much chance of a, a deal. Again, everything's possible and it depends how desperate Hamas get, um, but it's certainly not before the budget. Uh, so that seems to uh, have stalled at the moment. So 
we're back with politics. We're back with uh, some very interesting dynamics between the opposition and coalition. Uh, again, that November 14th date where the budget has to pass is what the coalition is looking at. The opposition at the moment is kicking and screaming, but not much more. Um, but we'll see if they have any more teeth to be able to delay the budget, which was, that's all they need to be able to delay it. And then we go to immediate elections. Um, and we'll see what happens in the days and weeks to come. With that, I'm happy to answer any questions about these issues or anything else. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have is from Jeffrey Schaff. Do you have any reactions to uh, Shaked's UAE comments that a Palestinian state will not happen under Bennett or Lapid? I mean, this, this isn't the first time it's been said. Um, it's interesting that uh, she would say it while uh, on a tour in the Gulf, um, but th these positions are well known. Um, it's it's very unlikely. Obviously, there are certain parties in the government who would certainly like to see it. Uh, there are other parties who would certainly not like to see it, and there are probably other parties who just believe it won't happen. I think Yishatid uh, probably sit there. Uh, as I, I referred to before about uh, Abu Mazen reaching out and wanting to meet with Foreign Minister Lapid, he said that... Um, there's no point in having this meeting at this time. At this time is the most crucial part because Yeshatid are in favor of the two states uh, solution, but they just don't believe that at this present time with the steps that Abu Mazen has taken at The Hague, with the threats that he's made uh, at the UN, that certainly there is a partner. Uh, and also because he understands that this isn't a government which is, you know, has, has a majority for peace. Uh, on, on the sort of uh, levels which Abu Mazen would want, which the likes of Merits and perhaps Ram would want. Um, so there was nothing new in those comments, and it's very unlikely that uh, anything really substantive will move on that issue in the coming months or even years. There will certainly be steps perhaps taken to calm the situation, to perhaps manage the conflict or, or what have you. But as far as a Palestinian state, I don't see that happening anytime soon. All right, thank you. And just to follow up on that, an anonymous attendee asks a recent report that there is a recent report that Biden is pressuring Israel on settlements in Judea and Samaria, also pushing for a two-state solution. Do these reports have validity? I certainly. I mean, the, 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 I would say the, the first one, certainly, um, there is an interest for the Americans to try and limit on, let's say, both sides. You know, I talked about the unhappiness with uh, Abu Mazen on the one side, and I'm sure that the Biden administration, like most administrations, want Israel's settlement activity uh, to be at a minimum. They, they will not use the word freeze. They will not use the word stop completely. They will probably want to also be informed if there's going to be any announcements. Um, but I'm sure these messages are coming across frequently. That uh, uh, you know that they should be limited as much as possible. So I, I don't doubt that, and the Biden administration's policy is for a two-state solution. So again, there's there's nothing necessarily new there, but the Biden administration certainly understands that there's very little that can be done a with Abu Mazen at this time, and b uh, with this government. They they know that there's very little wiggle room uh, for that. So I think what we'll see over the next, over the coming months, there'll be certain steps taken by all three parties, by the Americans, by the Palestinians, by the Israelis, uh, obviously 
uh, with the Americans trying to push uh, behind uh, the scenes as much as possible uh, to try and get some steps, some confidence building measures as they've been called in the past, uh, some sort of understanding, some way of dealing with each other. But I, I think the Americans understand at this point that any major steps, any major peace initiatives at this point is just, uh, it's, it's not going to sort of uh, come to fruition at this point uh, for all those reasons I've enunciated. Understood, thank you. And another question from Jeff Sheff uh, regarding the Biden administration. Uh, he says, I've heard that the Biden administration is actually against the Abrahamic Accords uh, because it conflicts with their strategy towards Iran appeasement. Do you have any information on this? I, I would say they're not against, certainly not against. Are they full-throated supporters and they're going to put, I think we, we spoke about this even <coughs> a couple of months ago, the Biden administration is not against the Abraham Accords. They came out and they, they welcomed the first anniversary and there's certainly interest to expand them. Are they going to put the political, economic, diplomatic clout behind them that was necessary that happened under the Trump administration? Probably not at this point. There's been interesting talk in Israel uh, on this point uh, that there is a possible, going to be a possible expansion <clears throat> of the Abraham Accords, perhaps Oman. There was uh, uh, a foreign minister, Lapid, talked about maybe, he didn't mention Oman, there was a foreign ministry official which specifically mentioned Oman, but there is a lot of talk about there could be some interesting developments in the next few months, some other countries. Uh, Israel is talking to almost every Middle East country, <coughs> every North African country. Um, I think that's probably an exaggeration, but many other countries um, to try and expand it. The Americans would certainly be behind it. But again, don't forget each agreement that was made, all the four agreements that were made uh, last year under the Trump administration, they received something very important for them from the American administration, whether it was the UAE with the F-16s, uh, uh, Morocco with the Western Sahara, Sudan off the terrorist list. Um, I can't remember what Bahrain got. <laughs> if they got something, maybe I'm wrong, maybe only three out of four. But that means that there was a lot of engagement from the American side. And uh, we don't see that level of uh, engagement um, for various reasons. I don't think it's a particularly uh, to do with not interesting in expanding it, but there's a different outlook. Uh, there's certainly a different outlook on countries like Saudi Arabia, which are absolutely crucial and were very strong allies to the Trump administration. The Biden administration certainly doesn't see them in the same way, or even Egypt, which is another major player, which has been a little bit critical of. So I don't think it's uh, about Iran. I don't think it's appeasement of Iran. The, the Americans believe that the JCPOA is the best vehicle perhaps a, a more robust, stronger agreement is the best vehicle uh, to stop an Iranian uh, bomb. Obviously, that's not a view shared by most uh, decision makers, opinion shapers in Israel, but I don't think it's necessarily about appeasement and being against them. Uh, the Abraham Accords, there's a lot of different issues uh, involved there. And I'm sure if there was another peace agreement or normalization agreement between Israel and the, uh, a member of the Arab world, First of all, I'm sure the Americans would be involved at some level, again, not probably to the level of the Trump administration, and I'm sure that they would welcome it. 
Wonderful, thank you. Uh, Ruben Hawk has a follow-up on that. As Iran gets closer to a nuclear weaponization, will Israel actually try the use of military force to prevent it? Well, again, um, you know, I've said this a few times and we have to make a differentiation between uh, weapons-grade uranium and actual weaponization. Uh, those are two different things. Uh, they are very close to weapons-grade material, but they're not so close to the ability to actually launch uh, a nuclear uh, missile. Um, that's, that's, the first one is suggested to be a few months away. The second one is as much as two years away. So there is a difference. So the, the clock is ticking, certainly, and it's not something that Israelis feel comfortable with, but it's not, it's not tomorrow. Uh, as far as Israel taking action, it could be argued Israel is constantly taking action. Uh, the idea of Israel, you know, Israel, let's just say the last case scenario is Israel, you know, sending a bunch of warplanes across to bomb whatever they think they can. That scenario is a long way off if it's even, you know, no one, you know, no one hopes that that's there, but I'm sure that option remains. And, you know, the, in this budget, uh, the defense ministry did get quite a, an upgrade of the amount that it received specifically to prepare uh, for uh, different scenarios of preventing the uh, Iran uh, an Iranian uh, nuclear weapons uh, uh, capability. So there are many, many plans being uh, collected, collated, uh, you know, discussed. Um, so it's impossible to say if, when, how, what, uh, you know, I'm certainly not privy to those sort of discussions, uh, but I'm sure that there are all sorts of plans being discussed. And as I said, the fact that the uh, the you know the budget with everything going around with everyone needing something from somewhere, the fact that the uh, Israeli government put a very large amount aside specifically for the defense ministry on this issue shows the seriousness uh, with which Israel takes uh, the threats from Iran. Wonderful, thank you. On a different note, uh, Stuart Broad asks, uh, with respect to the so-called family reunification law, uh, he has seen some statistics that since it was implemented many decades ago and up until the time of the, its, its suspension, uh, about a quarter of a million Palestinians have gained Israeli citizenship by marrying Israeli Arabs. When you consider the large number plus the children born to these unions, is it not the absence of the, is not the absence of the subs suspension, a long-term threat to Israel as the Jewish homeland. I, I'm not sure about the numbers. That seems quite a lot. It, it, I, I just don't know exactly how much. Uh, that, that has uh, uh, returned, that issue has returned because uh, there is discussion. I talked about the, um, you know, the division between the coalition and opposition, and they certainly haven't worked together even on the most minor laws, but there is Interestingly, been quite a lot of discussions between Interior Minister uh, Ayla Shaked, who was in the Gulf most of the week, um, and Simcha Rotman, uh, who is a member of the Religious Zionist Party, who's written a law which is, let's just say, more has been characterized as more uh, severe, more extreme than the, the initial law uh, that, was, uh, that was actually voted down last time. Uh, apparently, there is negotiations to try and get some of the opposition on. Uh, instead of Meretz and Ram, who obviously wouldn't, uh, who obviously don't want such, such a law, um, that could cause some problems in the coalition, as you can imagine, uh, especially with that sensitive uh, uh, budget vote coming up. Uh, it remains to be seen exactly what was being discussed. Was it the original law? Was it some 
compromise? Was it Rotman's law that could be supported by some members of the government, some members of the opposition? I think that's unlikely. Um, but there is a feeling that this is serious enough that both sides are saying that, you know, but, uh, everyone should come down uh, from, from the tree, that everyone's climbed up and really just passed this because it is an issue of national security is something that uh, uh, many of Israel security officials have said it's very important uh, that they should pass a law, but uh, it's very difficult to do under the current constellation of the government. So when the opposition can come in, the opposition would say the government are, or at least the right or center parties in the government are the ones at fault. And they then would point to the opposition being at fault because neither want to vote for the other's laws because neither wants to give a victory to the other. So it's more about politics at this uh, point than anything else. But what certainly has happened since the shooting down of this law is for any of this family reunification to take place, the interior minister has to sign off. And to the best of my understanding, the interior minister, even though quite a few applications have been made, uh, perhaps more than would have been otherwise, uh, she has not uh, signed any. Whereas when the law was in effect, the interior minister had a right to give exceptions, and there were thousands of exceptions given, even when the law was instituted. So it's not just about the law, it's also about the, uh, uh, the, the interior minister and how many exceptions are gonna be given. Uh, but at the moment, as I said, the interior minister has not signed any, to the best of my knowledge. So there are ways of getting around it, but it's certainly uh, something that could create tensions between the, uh, it within the government. And again, looking back, looking forward, let's say, uh, to the budget discussions, it's certainly not something that anyone wants to get tangled up. So it is hoped they'll find some uh, solution that will allow all parties to, if it, you know, sometimes you can't please all parties, but at least to the point where they're not going to, you know, break the coalition. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll probably find a little bit more about that uh, next week when uh, the Interior Minister is back and these discussions will start in earnest because they said it may well be tabled again uh, as early as next week. Wonderful, thank you. And before we go, Erin uh, Good asks, what is the current status of the COVID pandemic in Israel and how is it affecting the political climate and support for Bennett's government? Well, actually the, the situation is quite quite good at the moment. The numbers are dropping uh, across the board and this is after the Jewish holidays, after return to school uh, and everything else. Uh, so there's quite a lot of optimism. Uh, actually, you can argue that in the discussions for the last couple of weeks when Bennett fought, I'm sure it wasn't just him, but this is the narrative that Bennett fought with the leading health officials who wanted uh, to have uh, stronger restrictions, stronger measures uh, to get the numbers down. Uh, without those stronger measures and restrictions, um, the numbers still went down. There's now a bit of a fight because Naftali Bennett wants to have a situation because the last um, sort of problematic area <coughs> at least on, you know, in this wave is schools. So at the moment, if one kid in a class comes down with uh, COVID, the whole class is isolated for at least seven days, if not longer. And as you can imagine, that puts thousands, tens of thousands of children into isolation. So there's talk of next week, as of next week, at least in green cities with, with low infection rates, uh, instead of sending the whole class into isolation, the infected child will be obviously uh, isolated and then every other child in the class will have ongoing either daily or two or three times a week um, <coughs> will have uh, the test and then everything will go back to normal. So 
that's actually created the fight again because the uh, health ministry is saying we've got a pilot looking into this let's just wait for the pilot to finish to see what the results are so again that sort of internal battle has been raised again uh, but Bennett is very much of the opinion let's let the economy uh, get to work because obviously if children are in isolation who are below the age of 12 that means sometimes a parent has to stay at home they can't work etc cetera, etc cetera. so Bennett's view has been very much against lockdown against severe restrictions and so far um, it seems to be working. I mean, you know, depending on how you look at it, obviously people are still dying and getting ill, but the numbers are going down. Uh, there is talk that this wave is, you know, on its way out, uh, largely because of the booster campaign uh, that we have in Israel. Um, but it remains to be seen where what happens there, what's the next variant and how we deal with it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So at the moment things are going well, for those uh, viewers who have any interest in perhaps visiting Israel, there is talk of uh, in November for the first time, uh, potentially tourists uh, being allowed into Israel, those who are fully vaccinated. Uh, so that's good news. Again, uh, it's, it's not certain, but it's something the tourism ministry is trying to create a framework for. So maybe by next week, I'll be able to give uh, good news and say it's possible in the next few weeks, uh, tourists may be able to return to Israel again. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we've come so close for our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. And for our viewers and listeners, please note we will not be having a webinar on Friday. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.